Hi everyone, this is another excellent episode of Double Shelix, and this is Kayla along with Sally Winkler and our special guest, Julia Vlasakis. We are super excited to have Julia here today to talk about the theme of mentorship. Yes. So I had a lot of thoughts on mentorship and I was really excited to have Julia on the podcast because I know she's an experienced mentor. And so, well, first of all, maybe we should talk about how amazing Julia is. Julia's amazing. So, Julia, tell us a little bit about where you're how amazing at. Am. Yeah, how amazing Good. you are, where you're at, what you're doing. Sure. Sure. So, I'm a PhD candidate in Amy Hurd's lab at UC Berkeley, starting my sixth year at this point. But who's counting? Lean into it. Yeah. <laughs> But prior to that, I worked in a, a Mara Prentice's lab at Harvard University in biophysics for a little over six years. So my my mentoring experiences date back almost eight years now. So that that's sort of my my point of view is from having mentored high school students, undergraduates, visiting scholars, graduate students, and now sometimes postdocs and, and other folks. So the moral of the story is that if you were once Julia's mentee, she probably wasn't talking about you when she shares the dirt on mentorship. <laughs> because she's had a lot of mentees and is really experienced as a mentor. I've and, been really fortunate to have all really fantastic mentees, though. So even when I say I'm I'm referring to, like, generic stories, it, it's not It's like, not your own. It's not, yeah. Well, have you had fantastic mentees, or are you just a fantastic mentor? No, I, I think I've just been really... Yeah, like, don't be humble. You're a fantastic mentor. <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah. Yeah. So the two topics that we kind of want to talk about today are two sides of the same coin, getting mentored and then being a mentor. And I think, Julia, you can speak really eloquently to how to improve your skills in both of these things. So I guess in terms of getting mentored, why is this important? Like, why is it important for you as a mentee to actively cultivate relationships with both your official mentor, who is assigned to you from your project or whatever, as well as unofficial mentors who can like help you. Sure. Well, I, I think there's sort of two, two key things to keep in mind here. One is we are all going through, in this case, this graduate school experience, and we are not the first ones to do this. There have been, I don't even know how many, like millions of PhD students before us at this point. Do you think it's millions? I, That's like a Google interview question, and this isn't a Google interview, so we can move on. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's been quite a few of them, right? And so we don't need to reinvent the wheel in terms of all the experiences that come up day to day in lab. You know, how do, how do I write a paper? How do I present my work at conferences? You know, all of these types of things that will come up for pretty much anyone in the sciences. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can learn from our mentors. The second thing is that there are things that mentors can do for us that we can simply not do for ourselves at this stage in our career. So this is everything from having a mentor that can advocate your work. So you want to choose a mentor that's out there and giving department symposia and conference talks who is going to have a slide that says, my outstanding graduate student X, Julia, Julia, <laughs> yes, is, is doing this fantastic work and can sort of basically advocate for you in their field. They can make connections with colleagues for helping you find your next position. So, you know, you you, you are definitely proactive in, in some of these things. You're proactive in doing great work and you're proactive in saying, hey, you know, I'd kind of like to meet so-and-so from University Z. Uh, but, you know, your, your mentor can actually maybe make that introduction at a conference. Or after you've done that yourself, you can have them send a follow-up email and say, just so you know, like Julia's fantastic and you should hire her. Um, and that means a lot coming from a PI. Like those are the types of things that a mentor can do for you. They, you can also potentially get advice for them, like getting through weird department politics or any number of other things. But why is it important for you to like cultivate that? You know, not, I feel like not all mentors automatically do that. Like most presentations I've seen doesn't have like a, this awesome work was done by my student Kayla. It's just like this is work from our lab slash me. So how can you like encourage your mentor to advocate for you and make sure that you are, if not foremost in their mind, at least not not in their mind? Yeah. So this goes to, I think, one of the most important things that someone can do as a, as a mentee, which is right from the, the start and throughout your time of being mentored, 
explicitly have discussions about your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, and identify ways that your mentor can help you achieve those goals. And, you know, when I, when I started grad school, I made this like two page long list of what I wanted to accomplish in grad school. And, and a lot of those things were, were things that I would need the support of a mentor to do, but it's only possible if we talk about it ahead of time and say like, I want to have the experience of, of uh, learning how to write a grant, you know, and they're not going to know that a priori. Like, I think we expect a lot from advisors in, in terms of like, not like mind reading, but just kind of like. But mind reading. Yeah, essentially yeah. like <laughs> being able to, to project like exactly what it is that, that you're trying to accomplish. And I, I think that's why, frankly, so many advisors like partway through people's time in lab are like surprised when the student says something like, oh, well, you know, I'm not like going into academia. And so whatever incentive you just mentioned about like presenting at this conference to make connections in academia, like not. I don't care. Like, yeah. so, you know, like those types of conversations, if they happen up front where I have said to my PI, I 100% want to be in academia. It's like my dream to work with, you know, the top students in the world and to advance the, the frontiers of knowledge and design new instrumentation and to do that with, you know, fantastic students. And so here's like my checklist of things that I think we need to do to get there. And then also leaving open, like, obviously, again, not reinventing the wheel. So asking the, you know, my advisor, okay, like, here's what I think I need to do. What else am I missing? You know, setting clear expectations, hundred percent. Very important. I definitely agree. Also, I love Clear expectations. Yeah. <laughs> like, no surprises. <laughs> also, spoiler alert, that's also the number one thing that a mentor can do for their mentee. So both both sides of the mentor-mentee relationship, the number one thing that you can do is set clear expectations and goals. Yes. Oh, totally agree. So you keep talking about, like, choosing, like, your mentor can do this, your PI can do this. So your PI being, like, your primary mentor Besides everything that you mentioned, like making sure that they have a reputation for looking out for their students, what are other things that you think about when choosing both a boss and a workplace environment mm -hmm. as a mentee? Yeah, so you you have to, like, in the discussions that you, you have early on with a potential advisor, you have to, like, try to project and picture, can I actually work with this person? So that means, like, are you guys stumbling over each other when you're trying to talk and you're both interrupting each other nonstop? Like that's already like a sign that you're not having like effective communication. So just like early on, if there's an opportunity to have a rotation in the lab, you know, do seek out opportunities to meet with the advisor individually and like actually sit in front of some results and see, are we having a productive discussion about this data that I collected that, is is representative of the type of work I do and will do when I join the lab or is my PI like being really dismissive and not engaged with my work you know even though it's a rotation like there should be some buy-in on both sides that this is a real trial period to be able to suss out whether you work well together so like those all of those opportunities that present themselves and that you make happen during a rotation is it like it, it should be a constant check of is this is this someone I want to interact with? It's also, you know, you know, there, there's sort of the technical aspect I mentioned, like, is the person engaged with the work to be able to provide like useful technical feedback? But there's also just the personal like you either you either resonate with someone or you kind of don't. And some people are better at picking up on that than others, but to the best of one's ability, you should try to be perceptive to like, am I happy when I like talk to this advisor? Do I come out of the meeting feeling excited about the work I'm doing? These are all signs of what it would be like to work with them long-term. If that's not the case, so like red flags all up in the air. And then the same thing goes for the people in the lab, because those are honestly the people you'll have more contact with. And so, you know, taking part of any informal opportunities, coffee hours, uh, happy hours that, that the lab goes on and kind of seeing what people actually have to say about being in the lab is like really telling. Oh, this is such good input. First of all, 
I definitely agree on all of those points. Something that that you've touched on, and I want to go back and ask a little bit more about. So you brought up the idea of being very straightforward and upfront with what your expectations are, what your goals are, and then also giving time for your mentor to respond to that statement and give feedback mm-hmm. um, and being open to that feedback. So and what really cu- piqued my curiosity was when you said you came in with a two-page long list. So did you share that directly with your mentor right away? Yeah, so I shared it with the labs that I was potentially going to join as the basis for sort of a final meeting before trying to make a decision. I mean, I think it was just really telling like it, it was just another sort of thing that I could tell that I, I was resonating well with with, with the advisor um, the lab I ended up joining so yeah I absolutely shared that and that experience was sort of me saying oh yeah this this is what I think I want to do and my advisor said yes and you know maybe instead of three first author publications it, it should be at least four and I said oh, all right let's do it like that's the goal we're gonna make that happen you know yeah so yeah that that was sort of it was good for both the goal setting, but also, again, like that sort of, yeah. or do you have that connection with, with the advisor? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's great. <laughs> that's really cool. But I also realized that not every student or mentee, first of all, knows what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Second of all, has the, because like we can't go back in time and choose different mentors, like right. if you're in the PhD. Anyway, you can't. Not yet, anyways. Yeah. Okay, well, keep working on it. I know you're answering really interesting research questions. We can talk about that in a minute. But not everyone feels comfortable being that upfront. Not every mentor might be that receptive. What's your advice for students who might feel like, okay, I'm partway through this degree, like things are going, I don't, like I might have goals that have changed or you don't already have this open dialogue with your mentor about how you can best serve each other as mentee and mentor and like make everything all happy, happy. So like, yeah. Advice people who are kind of midway through, but starting from the beginning. Yeah. I, okay. How I do you think, approach that conversation? It's never too late to start having more specific conversations about your longer term plans. And I think it's totally fine if that conversation begins. I have no idea what I want to do. I'm plugging away on whatever transfections or like, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. And that's keeping me busy for the next few years. But I have no idea what I want to do next. And a good mentor should be able to sit down and say, all right, here are some resources that we can use to help figure that out. So one thing that comes to mind is like the Summer Institute for Preparing Future Faculty. If, say, you're not sure that academia is a good place for you, then there's things here at Berkeley like Beyond Academia, which is a a couple-day conference that basically highlights career opportunities for scientists with PhDs that are in everything from public policy to startups to, you know, you, you name it, just not, not academia. So one, I think your PI should sit down with you and go through some of those resources. I think another resource that if you are doing some kind of self-searching to try to understand what it is you want to do, I think the, the AAAS has this fantastic portal the individual development plan from AAAS okay. is this fantastic resource it's this long form questionnaire essentially where you indicate your interest and sort of level of of confidence or capability in a variety of areas and then they basically use their database of information about careers in science and try to help match you with you know based on all of the all of your responses like you would be really great in like science policy work and then you can say oh well I hadn't thought about that tell me more click the link oh right. perfect right and then it has some resources for how do you get better at certain tasks that you would do as as you know, someone that does science policy um, to give you some resources so that was a really long answer to your question but but I think like one, you can do some kind of preparation on your own before going into that conversation. So doing things like the AAAS individual development plan and also just be frank and say, I don't know what I want. This is something I'm starting to think about. And we have time during you know, the remainder of the PhD to gain critical skills that would better prepare me for 
you know, a career in X or Y, or, you know, like it's not too late, for example, to spend a summer doing an internship or, you know, a variety of other things. So yeah, I think just don't, don't be shy about having those conversations with the PI. And also I'll say, uh, even if you missed the boat on the, like starting your PhD, having your list of goals, I often do each year a new list of goals that is kind of like shorter, uh, shorter term sets of goals. And I think those can be good times to discuss how that fits into your longer term goals. If you set up a meeting that is centered around uh, those goals. And I usually actually couple that with like a, um, a self-reflection, I call it like it's instead of like a formal evaluation, I, I just write up a short list of these are things I think I'm doing well. These are things I think I need to improve on. And here's like a list of things that I think I could do to do better on those those items. And so we have a discussion centered around the new sets of goals and the sort of self-reflection. And yeah, I think that sort of communication can can help you and your mentor be in tune about what how to make the most of your time in your PhD. Yeah, so I'm hearing a couple different uh, steps here. So mm-hmm. regardless of where you are in your PhD, it seems like the first thing you need to do is to try to understand what it is that you need that your mentor could provide. Mm-hmm. And then to clearly be able to communicate those to your mentor. And then and then at that point, it's on their end to help you get those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or tell you like these are things that are that you you, you should be doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to do this first. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All of this on the the caveat that you're uh, that you're invested and engaged. Right. Um, right. And um, hopefully your mentor is as well. <laughs> right. Which goes to like the part about making sure you pick someone who is engaged in the first place because yes. it, it can all go awry pretty quickly if your mentor is not invested in you um, as an individual. So whether or not your primary mentor, whether that's like your PI, if you're a PhD student or your boss, if you're not, it's also like if they're good or bad, it's always important to have other mentors like in your workplace, in your smaller community, like your university and in your field more generally. So can you speak a little bit about seeking out these kinds of other mentors? Like how do you meet them? Like how do you maintain a relationship? How do you find them without being creepy? Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) I always feel like I'm being creepy. (laughs) I have comment on that, but we can get to that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have so many mentors at this point. It's like not even funny, but I, I, yeah, and like we can all use a little help sometimes. So, you know, that's that's why it's good to seek out a lot of different types of mentors because, you know, if you go through sort of the list of things that a mentor can do, ideally your advisor would be doing almost everything on that list, um, and we could go through what that list might look like in a little bit. But you can also have these like peripheral mentors that can serve specific sets or subsets of of those functions. So I guess a few things. So definitely in your lab, there there are mentors waiting to be activated into mentor mode. So when you're starting out in a lab, definitely the more senior people, you know, buy them a coffee, get them a beer, get them to talk about their time in the lab and start as much as possible engaging with them to learn from them. And, you know, some will be like really receptive to that and others will have like the big headphones on. And like when you go and tap their shoulder, their responses will be like one word responses. And, you know, like they're, they're signaling, like I'm in dissertation mode. Don't bother me. But like for other people do engage them if you can. So that's like one set of mentors that's already sort of in place. Like mm-hmm. they're right there. Just go go start talking to them. The other sets of mentors that so there's so many possible mentors, but um, they're sort of the analogous group of people who are the senior people in your graduate program, maybe not from your lab. It can get, be good to get to know some of them through whether it's department socials or volunteering in some some sort of outreach or things that the other members of the department are, like, engaged in. And do you think these um, these peripheral mentorship, do they tend to rise 
organically through your involvement or do you just walk up to someone and say hello will you be my mentor <laughs> mentor me <laughs> please, please. Yeah. um i think they arise organically because well okay i i there's a few things i'll say there there are some times that they arise organically a lot of times for the like other students in your department you know through whatever experiences that you're sharing together something will come up and you'll be like, oh, that's interesting you're discussing that because I was just wondering what it's like to navigate quals or, you know, whatever. Um, and so just asking questions, like when those things come up naturally in conversation, you are initiating the process of that person becoming an informal mentor to you. Uh, the same thing goes actually in everything from department retreats to conferences. Like, you should always be on the lookout when you're having discussions with with PIs at at these types of settings for those moments to ask some questions. Then you can also have the scenario where you go into a conference and I would definitely recommend this and you when possible if you can go through the list ahead of time of who is attending and kind of put stars next to people's names or even just email them and say hey I, I I saw that you're attending this meeting, but you probably shouldn't start it. Hey, if you don't know them, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, hey, would, you. Uh, do a formal introduction, explain who you are and like why you want to grab them for coffee at this meeting. And most PIs will be really receptive to that. Like if you already have a question in mind and you want to talk to this PI for whatever reason, and, and you can state that clearly in an email, like they'll usually be happy to spend some time with you. So those PIs at conferences can kind of go in either direction. It can either be organically you're discussing, oh, like, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, choosing my postdoc lab or whatever the topic is at the time. You know, how, how did you navigate that situation? Because maybe they just said, oh, yeah, my postdoc advisor once gave me this great advice, blah, blah, blah. And then you jump on that as an opening to talk about like your own confusion about choosing a postdoc lab. Not that I have that confusion at all right now, but so it could be kind of organic like that. When you talk about being like, dear Professor Julia, I see that you're going to be attending the Conference of Awesome and I too will be there. Like I'm very passionate about your interest in awesomeness and I would love to talk more Mm -hmm. or like something more specific, obviously. But like, what's the line between that and like making it very professional and being a creeper? Because I know that most professors have a story of like a student or postdoc from another institution who was like hard creeping on them at the conference and they had to like make a ploy to escape. Do you have, do you, you're nodding. I've totally seen this happen. You've seen it happen. I know it happens. I've seen it happen. I've heard about it happening. In the case of the conference thing. Like, yeah just don't follow them all over the place. Like set, set your time to talk with them, talk with them. If you bump into them at another point in the conference, like casually say hello or ask them, you know, Oh, did you see that poster? That was really cool. Like, I think if you're asking the question of, is this creepy? You're probably okay. If you're not (laughs) asking the question, then, then start asking it and kind of like, Mm. Adjust your behavior accordingly. I love it. At the same time, um, for the 99% of people who are not being creepy, right? there's also this, I think, for the 99% of people who aren't being creepy, more people could be taking a more active role in asking questions and being direct. And I, I don't know if this is your observation, but the observation I've had is that a lot of particularly PhD students, they sort of sit back and wait for the mentorship to come to them and just overflow them. And so how do you realize that it's okay to just get out there? And um, Yeah, I think that's, that's probably true, especially if you just look at, like, in general at conferences, like, who are the people that are interacting? And it's largely students with students and faculty with faculty. So yeah, that it's not it's not inherent that someone is just gonna come up to you and start mentoring you. There's very few mentors <laughs> <Hashtag dreams. laughs> that, that do do that. I feel like I'm really fortunate to work with someone, uh, Amy Her, that, that that is one of those mentors. Like that she is a super mentor. That 
just wherever she goes, her mentorship just spills out of her. But yeah, those, those are rare. So yeah, I mean, I think like one way to kind of start engaging that mentorship is to just start talking to the faculty. Like you don't even necessarily have to like send them this email ahead of time if you don't have a specific question. But if you want to open up lines of communication with, you know, some of the leaders in your field, then you, you're going to need to step out of your comfort zone and talk to them somewhat. So that can be anything from maybe you're too shy to ask a question during a session, but go up at the end and talk to them. And that takes some pressure off. And I, I do that as like a warm up at conferences. Totally. Like I'm like a little shy the first day. And so I'll make sure I like go and talk to people after a session first to just warm up. And then, you know, then you get more comfortable and then you're asking questions during the sessions. And then, you know, that bleeds over naturally because someone will come up to you and say, Hey, I thought that was a great question that you asked during the session. And then all of a sudden you have these new lines of communication and that, that all comes from your initiative to engage with your scholarly community when you can. One piece of advice that I would give based off of what you were saying is for going to conferences. I always try to set goals Mm-hmm. Even if it's like super stupid, like I will ask one question today. Yeah, absolutely. Or I will meet professor blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I will introduce myself. And like, sometimes it's way more scary than it should be, you know? Mm-hmm. So like set goals for conferences. You keep talking about like maintaining mm-hmm. these network relationships. So like you go to a conference and you meet someone or someone gives a seminar and you meet them or you're one of your professors from undergrad, like you have a tenuous mentee informal relationship. How often do you ping that person? Under what circumstances do you recontact them? Because you can't just like never contact them again and have their relationship with her until you need something. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be like emailing them every other week to be like, P.S. Blah, 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 blah. Sure. Yeah. So I think like definitely as as your like work advances in your Ph.D. and you have more work to present, then there's more opportunities at conferences and whatnot to kind of start seeing the same people over and over again. I would say like. Earlier on, it can be like, you know, using like opportunities that come up when there's like a department speaker and getting to know someone there is like the first time. And then, you know, perhaps you see them at like another conference and you you ping them then. I wouldn't be like constantly contacting these people. Like I would say once a year is enough. Yeah. If if even that, like, you know, it's just like the goal is that, you know, you you have like earnest conversations with them when you need to. And like you also like offer in return, like if there's anything you can do to help them with, with their students, like, you know, if it's something like they, they say, Oh, you know, my students also going to this conference that you mentioned you're going to. And like, would you mind like introducing them to people? Like, you know, if it's like an undergraduate that's going and I'm a graduate student, then, you know, you can all, it's, it's a give and take too. It's not just like, so we keep talking about conferences and yeah. the relation to mentors. And so obviously like get a mentor that will send you to conferences, mm-hmm. but some people don't have mentors as their PI. They actually have tour mentors who don't let them go to conferences, who forbid them from talking about their work to anyone and who, if they go to a conference, pay for it themselves and stay with their parents' house. Like, oh boy, it doesn't happen to me, but assumption, you can never go to a conference. Yeah. Because you're in a city situation that's beyond your control. Mm-hmm. Like, what are ways you can maintain mentorship relationships in your field beyond this? And also note to mentors, like, send your students to conferences. This is how they will succeed. If they succeed, you succeed. Okay, that was like a PSA. Yeah, but, and, well, and I think the follow-on PSA is don't take on a student if you can't serve the, like, critical functions of helping them advance in their career. Like, that. that's, yeah, that, it's... It's short-sighted because, yeah, your work, your lab, like, continues being productive, but eventually it gets around within the field that your lab is a dead end for people's careers. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. 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 But it's something that people should definitely ask questions about that before before you join. join. Have you ever been to a conference? Well, and on this note, conferences, let us also not forget department seminars, Mm -hmm. people that come to your campus. Exactly. Mm. It's like a conference that comes to you. Right. And I think that people completely underutilize, underuse. Both. <laughs> yep. They don't take advantage of these opportunities. 
yeah, to definitely go meet someone new. Yeah, definitely. And and if you can, like, serve on, like, a, a seminar organizing committee. So I've done that with the nanoscience seminar here. And you basically just invite whoever you want to meet. Exactly. So, yeah, there, there are ways that you can get the field to come to you. But it, it is really harmful to work with mentors that, that don't promote your research by letting you yeah. present it. And I think most programs set up some sort of formal mentorship such as we have a thesis committee. Mm -hmm. And those are also great opportunities to try to, especially if you're in the tormentor situation, to get some other people involved in your career path. Yeah. Also, I will say, like, if you're in 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 a tormentor situation that is fundamentally changing your life path, like, you are not going to be able to pursue career options that are exciting to you because of what the PI is doing. I think there there is a point of no return. Like, you know, if you're if you're like less than a year from graduation, maybe you should have had some like introspection earlier on about like where this was all headed. But I don't know. I, I think I think it's worth like considering whether changing labs will allow you to achieve goals that are not feasible in the lab that you're in. And I think people are reluctant to do that and it's hard and you have to find a new mentor and you have to explain to them how like how the current situation isn't working and you know there's a lot of moving parts there but you know it's not like you should just be trying to like survive your PhD with your mentor like that that shouldn't be a fundamental assumption that like you can't like thrive in your time here sending our infinite blessings to anyone in this situation yeah. 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 If you and I, I mean, I don't it's want PIs to listening to think like, oh, these students on their podcast are just bitching about bad PIs. Like, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, you're probably a good PI. So we're not talking about you. Yeah. And we're talking about like it's a, it's evil shit. Hopefully, a rare situation. <laughs> yeah, it's a rare and situation, to my but observation <clears throat> very rare, but not unheard of. But nevertheless, taking advantage of the resources within your own building and. and if you're going to, I think this is part of the responsibility of the mentee, too, is to be invested and engaged. And if you're not taking advantage of those kinds of opportunities, then I'm as a mentor, I would question whether you're really motivated to be, and what's your motivation for going to conferences, then, if you're not even taking advantage of the stuff that's mm-hmm. right yeah. next door. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, barring those... Um, rare and terrible situations, there's definitely a lot of responsibility for the mentee as well. Absolutely. And last but not least, there's no perfect mentor. Yes. And so just in the same way that you have your strengths and weaknesses, it's okay to understand that any mentor is going to have their own strengths and weaknesses. And you want to take advantage of their strengths and then do your best to um, find other mentors who compensate for their weakness. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's yeah. that's the whole oh, circle. Yeah. Right. Obviously, there is a lot of responsibility involved in being a mentee. And at the same time, when you're a graduate student, you should also be developing your skills as a mentor. And hopefully you're seeking out, receiving the opportunities to be mentoring undergraduate students, other graduate students in your lab, maybe visiting scholars. You mentioned postdocs and whoever's around. So first of all, how do you go about starting these kinds of experiences? And then how do you become a good mentor? That's a big question. It is a big question. Both of those are big questions. Well, this ties into some uh, a major theme we already discussed, but you should articulate to your mentor if you are interested in mentoring. So, you know, your your mentor will not assume that you want to be working with undergraduates inherently. It depends on the lab. Some labs, that's like the culture that you have like an army of undergraduates if you're a grad student. And if you're a postdoc, you have an army of grad students and there's like this hierarchy, but not every lab is built that way. And so you need to articulate that this is something that that is important to you. And if you haven't mentored before, articulating I haven't mentored before and I'm interested in trying is is also fine, too, because you want to make it clear to your own mentor that 
you're participating in this mentorship activity and it will take away some of your time. This goes to the clear expectations thing. So you want your mentor to understand why maybe you have like 95% of like your normal productivity during a period in which you're mentoring because 5% of that went to getting this new person started up in lab. So that's the first thing. Also, once you've articulated that, being proactive and presenting opportunities to your own mentor for you to mentor. Identify programs in which you could have someone be your mentee and present those to your advisor and say, hey, this is something I'm interested in so that they can help you line that up. And then informally, there's plenty of opportunities in lab, you know, especially as you advance in your in your time in the lab to be able to informally mentor to, you know, establish interactions with the more junior students, you know, ask them what they're working on and and they'll like appreciate um, the opportunity to to share, you know, some of the, what they're grappling with. And that can kind of start an informal mentoring relationship, too. Yeah. Yeah. What about. Do you have any, I mean, you've talked about having clear expectations, like meeting to discuss goals very frequently. Do you have any other like concrete strategies for how to help your mentee succeed in the lab? Yeah. So, so I definitely do have that same sort of structure with my, with my mentees where we have usually weekly meetings and I, you know, have them at the beginning of say a rotation, for example, set out clear goals for the rotation. I had a group that I was sort of leading over the summer that was like a combination of, it was, I guess all the members of the group were new members of the lab, but it was a mixture of grad students and postdocs. And we started out the summer with like, people need to write down what their goals are for their summer research. So again, that, that all is kind of built in. And then we sort of on, in the weekly meetings, I asked that my, my mentees like prepare sort of a research report essentially that we can go over and evaluate like what worked, what didn't work, what what are the next plans. So the, the kind of looking forward part is where we kind of set the next set of goals. And if someone's having trouble establishing what those goals are, then we can have a, an explicit discussion about it in like that part of the meeting. So I think having some sort of regular structure in the in the meetings that you have can can help set up success mm-hmm. because they know like, oh, I should be like doing this goal setting each week with my experiments. So that that's like something I definitely stress with them is like the structure and the goal setting throughout. And then let's see other things for having my mentees be successful. I encourage them to talk to other people than me because we have our like formal meeting, you know, once a week and I'm happy to like help them get started on something else. But I think one of the great things about being in a lab is that you have all of these resources, you have all these people that are experts in some thing or another in the lab, and you get the opportunity to engage with all of them. And so I, I definitely, especially for rotation students, but also for newer students too, like, I don't need to be the only person that you consult, like that we're doing it wrong. If that's, if that's the, if it's like, I have this little duckling, like following me around in lab, and I'm like, the mother duck or whatever like that that's not that's not what we're going for so yeah I definitely encourage them to use the other resources of the lab yeah just piggybacking off of that one thing that I've noticed that can really make a big difference in the success of a mentee especially someone that's like an undergraduate who might not feel as comfortable interacting with more senior members of the lab is as a mentor take the time to introduce your mentee to each of the lab members like Mm -hmm. this is Kayla, her project is developing hydrogels for glioblastoma, and she's the super user on this microscope and this mm-hmm. other microscope and this other microscope, and she's a safety officer. Yeah. You know, this can help your mentee feel more comfortable. Get Introduce in. your mentee to the lab members can make a huge difference in terms of their happiness and, like, their culture fit in the group. And Yeah. Just as, like, a, a PI mentor should be introducing you to their colleagues at conferences, like, that is a function of mentor. Yes. Theme. Yes. <laughs> then, like, you too, as a mentor in the lab, should introduce your mentee yes. to your colleagues. Yes. Oh, I love it. And on a related note, with especially for undergraduate students or rotation students, so people that are especially 
new to research, mm-hmm. besides us that are just mostly new to research. Right. Um, no. Don't sell yourself short. You're a star. <laughs> oh, thanks. You too. Okay. So how do you push them to not just be doing the mechanical experiments of the lab, but also to be learning more about how science works and how to be how to be active in understanding the field as much as you can as you're starting to learn and um, to do good science. Yeah, so that's a big challenge. I think one of the things that's I think is really important to to stress, like in terms of technical preparation for a mentee that's like just starting in science, like introduce them to the literature and how to search in the literature and how to you know manage references like these are all things that like I think we take for granted mm-hmm. but when you're just starting out like do you have no sense of like where you could even find relevant papers how to search in a paper how to read a paper and so like do sit down with like newer mentees and have those discussions with them and something that 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 I do is I have for rotation students and undergrads I have them like write a short proposal for what they're going to work on in the lab So, like, I kind of set, like, here's, like, a project area. Here's some questions that we have based on this work. Here's maybe a design goal that we have based on that work. But, like, I'm going to pass this over to you and, like, give you a week to kind of turn it over and, like, feel free to email me or grab me for another 30 minutes in, like, two days once you've had a chance to read some of this stuff and think about it. But, like, this is you taking ownership of your work. And it becomes really evident out of that how like comfortable the mentee is like engaging with the broader field just because of what types of references they pull into their proposal so if they're only citing like the three papers that I gave them then that's a sign to me like okay part of like my job is to help them be able to navigate like the literature yeah. whereas if someone comes back to me and is like oh you know these but then I found this other thing and it actually suggests this other phenomena and so we should investigate that instead and I'm like great like <laughs> yeah I'm blown away <laughs> yeah so another question that I have is so I too have had a great run of mentees mm-hmm. and uh, which has been nice um, I do think that there are some who are more engaged and more engaged consistently mm-hmm. so I don't know, have you had this observation? And how do you get all these different levels of students' interests to reach their potential? Okay, so when when you talked about engagement, like you mean like taking initiative in their project and like... exactly. So I, I think like I definitely make a point in our meetings to like stress like this is your project and the way I would do your project is like different from the way you will do your project inherently based on what our own interests and skills are and so if you're not enjoying what you're working on that's fine just tell me and we'll help find a way to make this project more interesting for you like you know it's it's not it's not a matter of like for a shorter term project like there's no need to like suffer through it if it's just not what they want to do um it's tough you know if if someone's joining a lab and like they are on a specific area that, you know, PI has grant money for that. And maybe there's some reporting mm-hmm. that goes with that grant where you're supposed to be like documenting progress towards those stated goals. You know, there you have less flexibility to say, okay, you know, if this doesn't interest you to work on it, but right. you know, every, every researcher, like they have their own style. And so part of your work as a mentor is to help f- your mentee find their style. So if they're like disengaged in a certain part, like, you know, asking them, questions about like well like what you know what are you more interested in or and if they don't know like kind of helping point them to areas that are related to you know the main questions but maybe would have them using like an instrument that would push kind of their capabilities or like a new like modeling tool that would you know let them understand something new I think it all comes down to like explicit discussions about those types of things like you know maybe you're sensing wrong maybe they have something going on at home and they're like worried about their family and so they're like what you're projecting as like just not caring about this work is actually them you know feeling like stressed out about a family situation and so I I think it's always good to like ask. One of the other issues 
that I think comes up a lot in mentorship relationships, especially with undergraduate students who are maybe finding their path and like they're doing research because it's like a thing that a lot of people at this school do. And like, maybe they do want to grad, go to grad school because FOMO. One thing that I think can often arise is what I call like the slow fade. Okay. So you not might be familiar. Be, not to be confused with senioritis. Not to be confused with senioritis. <laughs> okay. But it's or burnout. Right. That, yeah. But they're all have similar. So you have to do a differential, differential yeah. diagnosis. Yep. Yep. Okay. Symptoms of slow fade. Like it's a gradient where they're, enthusiasm, effort, time commitment, quality of work, engagement, whatever kind of goes like down over time. Mm -hmm. And like as the mentee or you as a mentee or whatever, as the mentee's engagement goes down, the mentor feels like their return on investment is decreasing. Mm -hmm. So they should invest less in that mentee who then is getting less mentorship, who then spends even less time in the lab or who does even lower quality work. And it's like this slow fade yeah. into a non-relationship or a bad problem. Mm -hmm. So different from senioritis where like they just don't like it anymore, but still do it or from burnout where they're like a thousand percent exhausted with like a trillion clubs. Right. So have you ever witnessed like first or second or third hand, like the slow fade? Like, do you agree that this is a phenomenon? If, how do you recognize that you're in the slow fade and like, what do you do to like, or that loop you're out. mentoring someone in the slow fade. Right. Or that you were a mentor in the slow fade or like, how do you break, break this feedback loop Yeah, and go back to like a productive relationship? Because as a mentor, I imagine it might be hard to be like, yeah, so you've been sucking, but also so have I. Yeah. <laughs> and also is there a point to end that mentorship? Right. Like maybe research in this situation is not for that student at this time. Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't know if maybe, like I've worked with quite a few people. Like I think close to like you're just 20, a good mentor. Like mentees at this point, and like I have not personally experienced that, but I have seen it with other people. Perfect. So yeah, I mean, I think part of it goes back to the expectations thing, and so when those expectations are clear up front, the first time that they're not met, you say, "Look, this is what we had agreed on." And so it's really important that this is happening because, you know, we're both investing time in this to be, have a productive, you know, research thing. And, you know, if someone's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I know this week I wasn't here that often. I had like the three, three finals and my debate club had our regional tournament and whatever, like the whole thing is <laughs> you say, okay, you know, just like, here's the plan, you know, going forward. And, you know, if someone keeps missing those, those checkpoints, I don't believe in the slow fade. Like I, I believe it happens, but I personally don't believe in it. So if that were happening, like, I think it would be a three strikes you're out sort of deal and being able to like fire someone per se. And you know, it, that firing sounds like harsher than what I think it is in this situation. In this situation, you say, look, like we had set these goals and, based on your commitments currently, you are clearly not able to keep up with those goals. And I don't want us to waste each other's time. So why don't you check back in next semester and see if we can work this out then or over the summer. But these are the expectations that I have for this relationship. And so if, if we're not meeting that, then, you know, we're not, we're not going to continue. That would be how I would handle it. And when I've advised mentors who were struggling with that situation that's what I suggested they do and that's what they ended up doing and it was not like a horrible tearful situation like you know it was sort of like one uncomfortable conversation is a good ROI on the next 20 hours you would have spent helping yeah. this person yeah and there's also a good chance I've I've observed in these kinds of situations that the the mentee is ready to leave if it's that to that point and maybe they just don't want to disappoint you i would say as much as possible to not participate in the slow fade make it clear as soon as the expectations are not being met make plans for how to change that if it's not changing then say look this isn't the right opportunity now so talking about the slow fade like are there other things that you would advise our listeners that are 
common things that can go poorly in mentor-mentee relationships, especially from the perspective where the mentor is a graduate student? And at what point in these sort of bad case scenarios would you, as a graduate student, involve your own mentor or your own like manager to diffuse the issues? Yeah. So, I mean, issues can arise all the time. It can be everything from like, you know, again, your, your mentees respecting your time or disrespecting your time. Like if you set meetings and they're not showing up on time or not showing up at all, you know, if you've gotten to a point where you have kind of the structure and the rapport with your, with your mentee, like a lot of things you can, you can handle just by discussing, like just sitting down and voicing a concern or, or a question to understand why something's not going the way you want it to, you know. In terms of involving your mentor yeah. with issues of your own mentee, like you think that not or? No, you definitely can. I think I think you do it at junctures, like if you really are at a loss of what to do with your mentee. So I would not like on the first time something came up, unless if it was like a serious safety issue and I had concerns about the safety of, the mentee or other people in the lab based on what that person was doing. I'm not going to mess around with that. Like I'm going to tell the mentee what the problem is. And I'm probably going to also mention to the advisor right away that this like safety issue came up. Yes. I wholeheartedly second the notion that anytime a safety issue happens, like you have to tell the PI both because it's the right thing to do and because it's a safe thing to do. And because it's like legally Mm -hmm. your PI could go to jail if something bad happens to one of their students. And so if you were a PI, you would want to know if you had someone in the lab who wasn't doing things safely despite having been told and safety issues don't mess around. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's, there's a range of things where I do like would immediately involve a PI. I think if, if you've attempted to address a situation and it's not improving, you know, bringing in your PI's advice again, like we're not reinventing the wheel here. So probably (laughs) your mentor has experienced something similar working with a mentee. They may be aware of campus resources that you're not thinking of. So in the case where you have like a student in crisis, like Mm -hmm. you need to be going beyond, like you are not a licensed how crisis anything exactly so you know there are times when you need to to get someone else involved yeah and be aware of like what signs of distress in your mentee are and and be referring them to like the appropriate services on campus so like short of those two situations where it's like 100 percent, you should be consulting other people consulting your pi or other resources on campus yeah, I, I would say, like, give yourself a few chances to try to figure out how to work with that person. I wish I had a good example of this, but I think for the most part, like, usually just by asking the mentee some questions about why things are going the way they are, you know, if you've set clear expectations and they're not being met, you know, usually you can talk through it and understand yeah. why and make a new plan. There's also a lot of great resources out there to learn how to become a good mentor mm-hmm. and you can take advantage of those. Um. Yeah, absolutely. So, so here at Berkeley, we have a course that's like mentoring in higher education. That course uses a book called getting mentored in graduate school, which I would definitely recommend that grad students at least like grab from the library and thumb through it to kind of learn some, some things from that. And then Moving beyond like the time with your mentee in the lab, whether that's going great, whether that's going poorly, but you definitely have your goals and expectations clearly communicated. Can you speak a little bit about advocating for your mentee and helping your mentee to succeed in the future after your former relationship is officially over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you probably know, I think that it should be clear from your discussions with your mentee where they're trying to go long term. And even if that's like solidifying over time, you should be like getting real-time knowledge about their current goals and plans because that can help you be a better advocate for them. So for things like, you know, maybe an undergraduate that's starting to think about grad school, like ask them like questions about why they want to pursue grad school and, and then help them prepare to apply, like offer to read their, their essays for applications. And with that, also making sure that your mentees, especially if it's a rotation student, undergraduate student, is also getting some FaceTime with your mm-hmm. advisor. So maybe scheduling some portion of your meeting to 
also bring in your mentee so that they can also present their own work or yeah. uh, making sure yeah. that they have they are recognized when you present yeah. their data. So yeah, that's really important. So so Julia, based on our conversation, I think our listeners can guess that your long term goal is to be a super mentor. Yes. Um, Aspiring super mentor. Girl, I think you are a super mentor. Like, people don't pay you as much money as they will one day, but, like, Uh like when you are a professor. So, yeah, can you talk a little bit, just to, like, wrap things up, what are your research questions that you're passionate about? Like, what are your long-term career goals? And, like, what steps are you doing, like, right now to get there? Sure. So, you know, I kind of realized between – so I I used to do, like, single-molecule biophysics. And basically what that functionally meant was applying force to individual molecules of DNA one at a time, which is as painstaking as it sounds. Um, And we learned a lot about, you know, DNA interactions with proteins that are responsible for uh, recombination processes that happen during meiosis and during um, DNA repair. And, And that was that was really fascinating to see how specific force confirmations of these protein complexes with DNA would allow for a repair process to be successful. It was, you know, those types of questions are really important and and just incredible that we can get that sort of resolution information. (laughs) I sense a but coming. From applying force, but. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It was ultra low throughput. Like it was really painstaking And that's why they had undergrads like you to do the work. (laughs) It was was slow going. And so, you know, I, I definitely, for my PhD, wanted to learn how to design kind of high throughput technologies for studying biology. And so that brought me to the HER lab where I've been working on designing single cell protein assays that utilize electrophoretic separations as part of the detection so that if you have something that a protein that's maybe a, a truncated form of the protein or a complex where you don't have a specific probe to detect that species, you need some way to discriminate that species from others that are similar to it. And so one way is to do an electrophoretic separation that that basically separates out proteins by size. And so it's been really neat to move from individual molecules of DNA to thousands of single cells per experiment through the designs of these assays. And so going forward, you know, a theme that sort of emerged was looking at these macromolecule interactions. So a project that I'm really excited about right now is in collaboration with Andy Dillon's lab in the MCB department here at Berkeley, where we're basically looking at probing the effects of certain stimuli, such as heat shock, on the organization of cytoskeletal proteins, such as actin, um, which are the key structural proteins of cells. So understanding how stresses influence the formation of these actin complexes in cells And so going forward, I think I'm very interested in continuing to pursue work that's sort of at the interface of biophysics and bioengineering, designing these tools to basically probe molecular interactions with sort of like a wide range of of approaches that that we develop and that, that are already existing in the field, too. So are you like on the market for faculty jobs now as a Ph.D. student or going to a postdoc or like you'll do a postdoc if you don't get a faculty job? Like what's the journey? Sure, sure. I only ask because it sounds like you know exactly what you want to do as a professor. And you sound like, as you talk about your work, you sound like someone who's already written their application in the mind. for being a like, professor. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have submitted some applications this cycle. I'm also looking at opportunities as a postdoc, too. So, so Julia, as we wrap this up, is there any way that listeners can like learn more about your work? Or any of your projects, like normally people... Any unashamed plugs. That you yes, like unashamed plugs. This is the plug it away. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well... Research or otherwise. Yep. Sure. So if you're interested in, in learning more about my work in single cell analysis, you can go to the HerLab website. So... We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, let's put that in the notes somewhere. The HerLab website has all of our up-to-date publications in that work. Yeah. Okay, Kayla, I also heard that SLAS like wrote up Julia because she's such a star. So as a final gift and resource to our listeners, we have the official Julia Vlasakis list of things you should do as a mentor. And a mentee. All right, take it away. So I'll start this by actually saying that it's not my list in particular. Citation is fine. Johnson and Hugh getting mentored in graduate school and some of their lists uh, arise from the 
peer-reviewed literature about mentoring. One's lists should always arise from the peer-reviewed literature. Yes. <laughs> Please continue. In mentoring and teaching, too, right? Like, there's a lot to learn about these things. We don't like, people make... get PhDs about what we're talking about. Right. We're just PhDs trying to talk about it, yeah, but we yeah. don't have PhDs. You don't have to make it up. Like, it, okay. it exists out there. This is even more legit. <laughs> okay, so number one for both of them, of course, is establishing clear goals and expectations. There it is. Who knew? So that, but that's actually not part of the numbered list. That was like, I was reading the the books list and I was like, this is missing. So number zero. <laughs> yeah, number zero. Okay. So a mentor can have sort of career and technical functions that are kind of helping their mentor, their mentee basically progress in their work. So things like assisting the mentee in like putting together publications and, you know, everything that's kind of like technical related to that, as well as giving them opportunities for things like prestigious fellowships and finding their next position. So all of those are one item that is basically supporting the advancement of your mentee's career. Publications, fellowships, et cetera. That's one item. (laughs) Okay. Number two, a mentor should showcase their mentee's work to other colleagues. Boom. Yes. Which we discussed. A mentor, uh, number three, a mentor should assist their mentee with things like interdepartmental politics. Yes. yes. Number four, a mentor should protect their protege from unfair criticism. So this can happen, you know, maybe a collaborator says, oh, like, so-and-so said they were going to send this data, but then they didn't. And as a result, like, we couldn't present it at the conference or whatever, like, the, your mentor should step in at that point and clarify the situation so that your like you character is not being an assassinated. Experiment, it wasn't going to happen. Exactly. Even with an army. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. So that's number four. <laughs> number five. A uh, mentor should assist their mentee in identifying and navigating increasingly challenging projects and collaborations that will advance their mentee's technical skills. So step it Love up. Love it. So yeah, just always. Always be pushing your students for more. Okay. Those are the career and technical functions. Now, this is what they refer to in the Johnson and Hugh book as psychosocial functions, which sounds weird, but all it means is just like aiding your mentee towards independence. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. So things like you should role model professional skills. Excellent. Number two. Build confidence in your mentees. Like, this is so important. Everyone is suffering from imposter syndrome. So do it. tell them that they're doing a good job when they're doing a good job. Like, don't, don't like, be all withholding. It's not, you don't have to, like, have this wall of stoicism with your mentee. Like, encourage them, help build their confidence. Number three in this part of the list is have the explicit discussions with them about planning for their career work-life balance, basically navigate those discussions that will help them be independent and out there in the world. And then finally, build mutual trust. So have high expectations, but also like... Follow through. Yeah. So that's how to be a mentor. Yeah. Okay. Summary it up of how to be a mentee. Okay. Number one. Number zero. Number zero. Number zero. <laughs> Establish clear goals and expectations. Oh, thank you for that. I didn't see that coming. Like, yeah, yeah. You missed that one along the way. I'm going to need you to repeat that a few more times. Okay, number one. Keep commitments and deadlines. This builds into, like, the cycle of trust with your, with your mentor. Mm-hmm. Number two. Maintain high standards for your technical work. Like, mm-hmm. don't send them something that's not complete. Like, if, you're, if you told yes. them you're going to send them, like a slide deck that had all your figures for your new manuscript, like send it, like sit, like have it be thorough and plan appropriately. Yeah. Number three, direct communication. So we talked about this, but tell your mentor what you need. Tell them just be direct. Number four, embrace your role as a student and learn from your mentor. Understand that they have so much to teach you. So don't like, Don't see it as like, you know, even if it's someone that's like you're a graduate student and another graduate student in lab is serving as your mentor, don't have any shame in that. Like learn from your mentors. Love it. Number five, say yes to new opportunities from your mentor. 
almost never say no is like the other way to state that rule. Like, unless if it's going to just kill you to like do something that your mentor has asked you, or if it's like inappropriate in some way, like obviously like we don't need to support mentor mentee relationships that are uh, like toxic, harmful. Yeah. But for every like productive, you know, research related opportunity or kind of career forwarding opportunity, say yes. Number six, determine your boundaries for self-maintenance. So understand what you need in terms of sleep and exercise and work-life balance and communicate those things if you're if you're missing the mark on it with, with your current set of responsibilities. Number seven, understand your mentor's goals. Mm. So yeah, you have your own goals, but sometimes they're not the same as your mentors. And as a result, your mentor might be asking you to do something that you think is pointless. So if you don't understand why you're doing something, just ask, Under, like, just ask, why are we doing this? And oftentimes you'll learn that there is a goal that you just weren't aware of. Number eight, communicate appreciation. So when your mentor does something excellent, like tell them that you thought it was excellent. Send in an email, like tell them to their face the next time you you see them. It, It means a lot to mentors because they're investing their time and effort in your own growth. And so oftentimes not as much to their benefit. So yeah, yeah. So I think it's important to like express gratitude. Number nine, admit when you made a mistake, like you are not. Mm, that's a good one. What? You mean that we're not perfect? Yeah, we're not perfect. And <sighs> like, don't pretend that you are like, don't try to cover up a mistake that happened. Just say, there's this problem with the data and I should have caught it, but I didn't. And or like this is the plan going forward. And I'm sorry that I made this this mistake. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I made a mistake. It's okay. Like, it is much better to have those types of conversations than a conversation that is, you covered up this mistake. And like, phase into the trust cycle. Look at that. Yep. Mm. Love it. 100%. Number 10 that was in this book was maintain a sense of humor, which... Um, <laughs> No, I agree that it's important, <laughs> and I cultivate that, but... No, I think it's actually, like, you can have fun with your mentor. Like, like it's... Yes, there's, like, a, a queer, like, teacher-student sort of... Professional setup, situation. But, like, it's okay to, like, have... You know, we're all human, and every now and then... Yeah, like, you can... You can make a joke. Yeah, like... A very professional, appropriate joke. Yeah, it's it, and it, you know, I think over time, like, that can kind of build its own special part of your, like, mentor-mentee relationship that you have these, like, few jokes together, you know? So. Yep. And with that beautiful list yes. of mentor and mentee expectations, with that, you can link to the podcast at com, and we're on the iTunes store and the Podomatic app. Yes. And please like, subscribe. like us. Like us. us? No, subscribe to this podcast. And review this podcast. Review this podcast. Yes, that's the key thing. Also, Julia, thank you so much for talking with us. Yes. This was so fun. I learned so much. You're bettering lives left and right. Including ours. Like, if we were in charge, we would hire you for our department to start, like, next month or whenever you're comfortable. Mutual Maybe expectations. Once I have my PhD. We'd also be but happy to be help. your mentees. But, you know, yeah, please mentor us. We might have missed that boat. I don't know. <laughs> Informal. That's Friendships true, yes. turning into mentorships. Exactly. Peripheral. Peer mentorship. Peer mentorship. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks for being on this podcast. We thanks really appreciate you. Me. You're a star. Listeners, you should hire her, but also <laughs> take her mentorship advice. Mostly that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, listeners. And Julia. Mostly Julia. Thanks, you. Thank you.